So please hear your Bibles again. Let's turn together to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And the word of the Lord, 2 Samuel chapter 9. The central text of this chapter is verse number 7. That is the, again, the text that really hinges the whole portion. It says there, 2 Samuel 9, verse 7, And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Let's bow together, please, in a word of prayer. Almighty God and Father, we come in Christ's name. And we're thankful for the word of God. The word of God that is so unified in teaching great redemptive truths from Genesis through Revelation. Surely it is your word that points us to Christ our Savior and the glories of the grace of God and redemption. So give us again eyes to see Christ and ears to hear Christ in the Word. And as we've noticed in recent times, and again our studies in Luke, we think of Christ in all the Scriptures. And surely Christ is here in 2 Samuel 9. Help us to see our Savior and to be encouraged afresh by a look at Him. We pray in His precious name. Amen. Amen. I think to help us understand the contents and the application of 2 Samuel 9, you've got to appreciate that there is one word that is particularly prominent. And it's obvious any careful reader of the Word of God will see that word is the word kindness. It's there, verse number 1, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse number 3 again, that I may show the kindness of God unto him. And then also verse number 7, for I will surely show the kindness... For Jonathan, thy father's sake. It's a word that I've certainly referred to from this pulpit before. It's often spelt in the English H-E-S-E-D, hesed. In the Hebrew, it's a hard H, so it's sometimes spelt. You may see it in some uh, commentary, C-H or K-H-E-S-E-D. And I suppose in the Hebrew, it may be hesed. There's a guttural H there. It's a hard H there, so it's hesed. It's used in our authorized versions in the original, of course, around 250 times. It's a very prominent word, and it's prominent in its significance in the key text that it keeps recurring. Sometimes translated with the word mercy, 150 times or thereabouts, the word kindness, loving kindness, goodness, merciful, and so on and so forth. Many different translations of this precious word. It is used at times. Uh, to refer to human acts of kindness. And I suppose in part, that's part of the thing here, that David would show kindness to Mephibosheth. Kindness. But when it refers to God, it has that particular aspect of God's loving kindness. In redemption, God delivers us from our enemies. He preserves our life from death. It's used that way. It's used in quickening or spiritual life. It's used in redemption from sin. And it's used in respect to God keeping his covenants. Now we sang the second hymn in our hymn book. Of course, it's drawn from the Psalm 103. Turn across to the Psalm 103 and let me just show you uh, this word as it recurs in this particular psalm. Again, you'll appreciate right now that to do a word study in this word is a very, very prolonged study. 
uh, so frequent that there's usage in the Word of God. So I've been uh, selective. And you go, Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. There's the word mercy, and it has that uh, describer attached to it, plenteous in chesed, plenteous in mercy. And of course, as the psalmist praises God in this psalm, he's, he's even drawing back to the description as God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus. He's the Lord abundant, plenteous in these acts of loving kindness. You've also got verse number 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And then you've got, as the east is from the west so far, has he removed our transgressions from us. And there you get the sense of the greatness of this mercy, but also in respect to our sin. And even though we've sinned, he is still pleased to show mercy, great mercy toward us. Verse 17. Here you see the duration of God's mercy. It is an attribute that belongs to God's eternality. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. God is chesed. God is loving kindness. God is mercy. And as he is such, so he delights to show such. But there's one aspect, again, that often comes when you study this portion, this, verse, this word in the Scriptures, and that is that this word is often connected with the idea of truth or faithfulness. Turn back, please, to the Psalm 25. We're going to stay in the Psalter. It's just the uh, convenient portion to look at this sort of study. In the Psalm 25, and here I want to show you the several occasions where this word is connected with the idea of truth or faithfulness. Verse, uh, verse 10 of the Psalm 25, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. There's the connection of this idea of God working in mercy, but in mercy that is faithful mercy, mercy that is reliable and true mercy. If you like, mercy that keeps the promises of God. And so you've got back to verse number 6, where in light of God's faithfulness in His mercy, the psalmist can pray, Remember, O Lord, the idea being, Lord, you've, you've said you're this. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses. We have again this word being used in that regard, the mercies of God. And then over in the Psalm 40, in the Psalm 40, again, this gloriously messianic psalm, withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord, let thy loving kindness. Here it's going to be attached again with this word truth. And thy truth continually preserve me. And so the, the recognition that the, the man of God is kept as the mercy of God is, is combined with the faithfulness of God. It's a faithful mercy. Psalm 85 in the verse number 10. In Psalm 85 in the verse number 10. Now, this well-known text, mercy and truth are met together. This idea, these come together. Of course, they, they come together in many ways. They come together in the very character of God's. God cannot be merciful without that mercy being true and faithful and reliable. They come together in the character of God, and therefore they come together in the conduct of God. As He shows mercy, He does so with regards to His faithfulness. 
In other words, we're going to see, and we will see tonight, that His mercy comes in connection with His promises. And He keeps His word. Psalm 89. I turn you here because of the connection, of course, of this psalm with the promises of God to David. Again, you so many times later on in this psalm, you have the reference to, uh, again, a son of David reigning upon the throne. But verse number 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. And here is very, very remarkable because there's the Hebrew parallelism here. I will sing of the mercies. I will make known thy faithfulness. In other words, these two words are so connected, they can be changed and interchanged in this particular psalm. The mercies and faithfulness of God. One last one, Psalm 106. And the verse number 45, and again, I have been very, very selective here in these references. Psalm 106 and the verse number 45. And he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. Again, without dealing with the details there of that text, note the connection. He remembered them for his covenant and repented according to the multitude of of his mercies. Before I go any further, I realize we come to the end of a Lord's the evening and we can all get tired and weary in the word. Well, let me give you something just to feast upon tonight. If I tell you tonight that God is merciful, you may well think of that and say, well, he might show him mercy today, but perhaps not tomorrow. But such is the testament of the word of God, that God's mercy is connected to his faithfulness. And so if you are convinced of the mercies of God to your soul today, then that mercy will endure forever. It's the faithful mercy of God. And so in light of this word, this loving kindness of God, this mercy of God, and you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, what you're seeing here is David, he is modeling the said of God. He's modeling the loving kindness of God. Again, that shouldn't surprise us. He is, after all, a man after God's heart. By grace, David has a new heart, and therefore, from that new heart, he displays God's character. It's one of the glories of salvation. We begin to display the very character of God. That's a wonderful act of grace. But look what he says in verse number 3. Again, we're back to 2 Samuel 9. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show? And listen, the kindness of God unto him. David is displaying the loving kindness of God in this chapter. And as such a man after God's own heart, he is therefore a chosen type of Christ here. You see, in preparation for our convictions regarding Messiah... The Lord has placed these Old Testament narratives in such a way that we'd understand that the king of David, the son of David, will be a gracious king. But if the Messiah coming from the line of David, as we know he will and did, if he is truly to be a son of David, he will show the kindness of David, the mercies of David. You see, the gospel is referred to as the sure mercies of David. Turn across to Isaiah 55, please. Isaiah 55. 
I just want to, follow, I want to be clear that we have a foundation for what I'm going to say tonight. Now, as we consider the account, the history here of David's work, I want to show you that we are to see farther than David. We are to see here our Savior. Isaiah 55 in the verse number 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. And the reference there is to the gospel blessings that come in and through the son of David. And so what happens is God enters covenant with David. And through that covenant, he's promising blessings upon all who are related to the son of David. And ultimately, the final son of David is Christ himself. You see, Isaiah 55, verse number 3, is quoted in Acts chapter 13 with respect to Christ's resurrection. So what you're seeing here in Isaiah chapter 55 is a recognition that the gospel that is secured by the resurrection of Christ is referred to as the mercies of David, mercies that come to us in David and from David, in union with David and from David. But of course, not David historically here as this David, but in light of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, the son of David. We are, we're forced to see this as we study the word of God. We're, we're forced to this position. That what we're seeing here in 2 Samuel 9 is glorious, it's wonderful, but it's a mere foreshadowing of the blessings that we enjoy today in the gospel in light of Christ's resurrection. If you like, let me put it this way. Christ's resurrection secures the greater 2 Samuel 9. Greater than this. The 2 Samuel 9 that you can enjoy tonight by faith in Christ Jesus. There's something greater here than David being kind to a poor, frail, lame man. I've got to see that. And so let's see the mercies of Christ. In this chapter is care for the poor and needy. We're going to do so. You'll see in your outline, you have the bulletin there, uh, that we have five. I'm going to move very quickly tonight. In some ways, this chapter serves uh, as a means whereby you could, you could put together a systematic understanding of the kindness of God in Christ. But note, first of all, the condition, the condition of Mephibosheth, if you like, how it shows us the necessity of mercy. That the sinner must know the mercies of God. Think of his frailty. Again, you, you know the story. You've read the story. I'm not going to go over the details here. Again, David is concerned. Is there a son of Jonathan still alive? That I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And he, he comes, he's told about this man, Mephibosheth. Now you go back to chapter 4 of Second Samuel and you're told the details of the event whereby Mephibosheth becomes lame in his feet. Verse 4, And Jonathan Saul's son had a son that was lame in his feet. He was five years old. When the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and he fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And so we see the events that led to his frailty. And you'll see verse 3, verse 9. This is chapter 9 again, verse 3. Verse, um, and verse 13 highlight again uh, this matter that is lame in his feet. His frailty. 
a burden. Nothing to commend himself in times of war. What use is such a one to a king? Only, only mercy. Only mercy would show to Mephibosheth what David shows to him here. Again, we should understand that this idea of lameness is taken in our Bibles as a reference to the effects of sin and the mercies of God that will reverse such lameness in the gospel promises. Look, please, at Isaiah 35. I don't believe there's anything accidental in the Word of God. I don't think you believe that either. Everything's deliberate. Everything's purposeful. There were many things could have happened to Mephibosheth when he fell that day. Not just his feet. He could have injured many parts of his body. But he is lame. And I think it's significant that in a portion that highlights the kindness of David, the kindness of David's greater son, it's significant that he's lame in his feet. Isaiah 35 in the verse number 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And these are the gospel promises. Oh, we know that Messiah comes, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. These are one of the great gospel promises. Recognition. What is it to be a child of God? It's to see the glory of Christ. It's to hear the word of God. And it's to walk with God. These are the features of what it is to be a Christian. Are you such today? You call yourself a Christian. Can you see? Can you hear? Do you walk? You see, this matter of lameness is a picture of someone broken by the fall. And in God's mercy, the promise is the lame can walk. Jeremiah 31, Micah 4, the same things are said. These are gospel promises. You see, it is Mephibosheth's lameness, his frailty, that indicate the mercy being absolutely necessary. Think of his family also, not only his frailty, but his family. Verse number 6 of chapter 9 again. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come. The writer highlights this. Here's who this individual is. He's the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. You see, it was understood the very event that brought about his lameness was a reflection of the perceived fear that they had towards David. They flee from the potential that David may come and do them harm. And so in verse number 7, David says unto him, fear not. There's a recognition that in those times, the family of a disposed king was often killed or oppressed. Not treated with kindness, but done in, finished. And so Mephibosheth and, and those who were around him, they recognized that. See, is that not a recognition of a sinner? Why do sinners not come to church? There's lots of reasons. I say, I don't believe all that nonsense. It's all fables and fictions. But there are those who recognize that it is not safe for them in the presence of God. And in their conscience, they know they are better outside of God's presence. 
And so it is here. His frailty and his family point to us in the direction, sorry, that the only hope for Mephibosheth is the mercy of David. And so it is for sinners. The only hope the sinner has is the mercy of God. The necessity of mercy. Secondly, please note the covenant, which is the security of mercy. The security of mercy. Verse 1, this is reference for Jonathan's sake. And then verse number 7, for Jonathan thy father's sake. The, these, this refrain is repeated here. The kindness that David will show is for Jonathan's sake. Now, you remember that refers to a very particular part of this history. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. This is not just a reflection of the relationship that David had towards Jonathan. It's a reflection of a promise that David made with Jonathan. 1 Samuel 20 and the verse number 15. You'll see the reference there. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again. There's this covenant. Jonathan and David entering into this solemn promise together. And the promised part of that promise was David promising and swearing with an oath that he would show kindness to Jonathan's house going forward and forever. And now we find ourselves, and there's different ideas. Mephibosheth was five when he fell. We know now he's a young son, verse number 12. So likely we're looking at a man that's maybe 20 or 25 years old, hard to be certain. Fifteen years later, after the covenant promises made, and yet despite the passing of time, despite all, if I can use this term, all the water under the bridge, David is determined to keep covenants. He's not going to break his word. In love to Jonathan and in loyalty to the word. And again, it simply reminds us that as I saw when we looked at this word, has said, and its connection with God's truth and faithfulness, God's loving kindness comes to us secured by covenant. The father covenants with the son. And for the son's sake, blesses the offspring of the son. You see, it is the covenant that gives us security. We should understand that. Covenant, that gives security. Entering a covenant like this, it doesn't govern the intensity of the love. But it provides security for the display of that love. By the way, young people, that's why marriage is so important. You meet some man and he says to you, why would we get married? Do you know I love you? Why would he bother with all that marriage stuff and entering into covenant? Why would he do all that? Just, do you, you know I love me. I love you. And I'll always love you. Well, marriage secures that. It's intended to do that as a covenantal promise to secure, to secure the promise. And so it is here. We receive God's mercy in covenant. Love so amazing. 
loyalty so astounding. The mercies of God in Christ Jesus. The command then, thirdly. The command that shows the sovereignty of the mercy. You know, the interaction between David and Mephibosheth initially through Ziba, it is not a negotiation between peers. It's not kind of this settlement, they come to an agreement, and Mephibosheth says, well, you do this for me, I'll do that for you. There is a sovereign party here, that's why he's king. Verse 5, it says, Then King David sent and fetched him. The sovereignty here is seen in the summons that is given. The king sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. By the way, there's a, a wonderful little aside here in terms of the spiritual application. Lodabar speaks of a place of no pasture. The shepherd summons the sinner from where there's no pasture to where he's going to eat at his table continually. Is that not what God did for you? You're in the world, in the wilderness. There's no food there for your soul. But Christ comes and sends for you and bids you to come to his house and feast there forevermore. That's the gospel. And we're taken out of all the wilderness of this world, but we are, we are taken out by God's effectual call. We, we are summonsed. We're, we're made willing. The call of the king comes and we obey that call, the summons. Then note the statements that are given here. Note the language of verse number 7. Fear not, I will surely show thee. Verse 7, I will restore thee the land. Verse number 7, thou shalt eat bread. You see the declarations there? Not, would you like to? Would you like these things? But God's saying, this is what I'm going to do for the sinner. That's the purpose of God in covenant. Their sins and their iniquities will I, I will remember no more. A new heart will I give you. These things that are the promises of the covenant, God comes in his sovereignty. And yet, when I present this sovereign king, this is not a king who is austere and harsh, demanding obedience without any kindness, because you see the sweetness here. Again, I had never noticed this. I'm thankful for a commentator who pointed out this matter. There's a change to see. Note, note how David interacts with Ziba. Verse number 3, the king said. Verse 3 again, and Ziba said unto the king. Verse 4, and the king said unto him. Verse number 5, then king David sent. Verse number 9, then after all the events, then the king called to Ziba. Every time that David interacts with Ziba, he's referred to as the king. But look at verse number 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David. And David said, Mephibosheth, and verse 7, And David said unto him, not the king, but David. It's the sense of David coming as the sovereign king, but personally and tenderly coming to Mephibosheth with these mercies and these promises. To put it to you this way, our king comes to us as our friend. He invites us tenderly to come under his protection and his provision. He says, come, and I will bless you. And we do not argue, for we know that this invitation is coming from one who loves our souls. 
Don't reject the love of Christ. He comes, a friend of the sinner, willingly, sovereignly, bidding them to come under his care. The command. Fourthly then, please note the consequences. Because the consequence, they show the generosity of this mercy. Here I borrowed, again I borrowed three words from another commentator. Again, I couldn't improve on them, but I don't want to be guilty of, uh, of stealing them from this man. And so Davis in his commentary points out these three consequences of the mercy of God through David to Mephibosheth. There is the mercy of protection. Verse number seven, fear not. Now you fear your life, you fear your safety, you need not fear, you are safe. And so it says there, you know what it says? Verse number four, he's in the house of Machir in Lodabar. And then verse number 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. The change there, he is safe. He's safe in the city of peace. Protection, provision. You have all the details of the servants and the fields to work the fields and the food provided for Mephibosheth. He shall eat bread always at my table. Verse number 10, provision, position. At the table, verse 7, 10, 11, highlight this matter of him sitting at the table. But verse number 11 adds the emphasis, he shall eat at my table, not as my friend, not as my servant, but as one of the king's sons. He's given a position as a member of David's family. And so here we see, do we not see the spiritual blessings that come from God to us in covenant? Protection. He will never leave us nor forsake us. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Your soul is safe, even in death. For death cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. David will care for your soul forevermore. Provision. It's there also. We have every spiritual blessing given to us in Christ Jesus. No good thing will he withhold. Anything you need for your soul's provision is met in Christ Jesus. And you say, well, I don't have this, and I know that, and I know the other thing. Well, the Lord doesn't believe you need those things. But everything you need to walk with God is given to you in the gospel. He holds, withholds nothing that you need. Nothing. There will be no lacking from God that would keep you from getting to heaven, if you like. Everything you need is provided for in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. And of course, your position, you are brought to David's table as a son. As a son of God. The spirit of adoption within our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, we become a very son of the living God. Oh, the depth of the love of God. I've... I deliberately, I, I, I wrestled when I spend time in this chapter and take a week on this issue or that issue. But I really, I want to overwhelm you with the sense of the kindness of God. All of these things coming one after one after the other to get the point. Jesus loves me, this I know. That you appreciate again that you're loved of your greater David's. And where your sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. This is the gospel of Christ to your souls. Fifthly, the continuation. 
This shows us the perpetuity of mercy. In two ways. As long as Mephibosheth lived, he should eat at the king's table. To my mind, that points us to the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and chesed shall follow me all the days of my life. The mercy of God is with us now and forevermore in Christ Jesus. Christ would deny his covenant and deny himself if he was to withhold his mercy from you for one second today. Can't happen. You say, but I, I had this situation this past week. And it was such a challenge and so difficult. And it's truly at that point, I'm not on the mercy of Christ. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The continuity here of this mercy. There's one other way in which this continuity is shown, though. And that is in this reference of verse number 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And I kind of, well, what's, what's that reference about? Why is, why is that there? Well, I think it points us towards 1 Chronicles chapter 8. Remember, 1 Chronicles written after all of this stuff. So 1 Chronicles chapter 8. And the verse number 34, you have another reference here to Mephibosheth. Now, you may not know this, and I encourage you, if you've got a, a margin in your Bible, you want to make a note to this, cross-reference this uh, with Mephibosheth. Verse number 34, And the son of Jonathan was Meribiel. Meribiel is another name for Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth begat Micah. And so what you're seeing here is that in the mercies of God... David's covenantal faithfulness secured the mercy of God to Mephibosheth's generations. And from Micah come other sons, Python, Melech, Taria, and Ahaz. Now, I'm not suggesting to you here for a second that this is a saved line. That's not the point. But in old covenant terms, God's kindness was shown to Israel in the continuation of of a man's name. That's the issue of Boaz and Ruth and all of that kinsman redeemer stuff. It was the kindness of God in the continuation of a man's name. Now, we are not in the old covenant. We're in the new. But the mercies of God is still seen in showing his loving kindness from generation to generation that there are spiritual offspring so that Paul has a son named Timothy. And there's a continuation of the mercies of God. Mary's song. Why would I go to Mary's song? Because as she contemplates the grace of God, she sings this, He that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Simply what I'm reminding you is, that the mercies of God will never, ever stop. He is mercy. He is loving kindness. And there'll be no breaks in the redemptive chain 
where the mercy of God ceases to be displayed in this world. At no point will there be a time in this world that there will be no saved person living in the mercy of God. That will never, ever happen. There will always be a people of God in this world because God's purpose is to show His mercy from generation to generation. And so it comes to the end of the age and Christ returns. What happens then? We are shown the riches of the kindness of God in Christ forevermore. And so His kindness is shown for all eternity. And we continually live and we enjoy and we look and we rejoice in the loving kindness of God. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Dear people, this is your God. If I can take that Old Testament language, behold your God. Believe in him. Take his word to your heart. And may it bless you in the weeks to come. Let's all bow together in prayer. Almighty God and Father, these things are so familiar to us. So many times we've considered your word and we understand, O oh Lord, your saving purposes. That in covenant you've secured and determined to love us forevermore. O oh Lord, help us when the clouds come in and the way becomes dark. Help us, O oh Lord, to continue to look through those and see the kindness of God. Help us, O oh Lord, in the seasons of prosperity and peace, and that we not trust in our circumstances, but in the living God who shows us such loving kindness and mercy. O oh Lord, we are lame. Like Mephibosheth of old, we sit at Christ's table, and yet we still have the marks of lameness, and so we long for that day when even those things are removed. Christ returns in his glory and we feast at the table of his kindness forevermore. Oh God, make us, make us more and more spiritual in our mindset. Forgive us for all of our carnality. We thank you for truth. Bless us, watch over us this week in Christ's name. Amen.